and thunder. We're talking Dice Masters. The beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities, and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play. If you're just starting the game or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. Alright, Masters of Dice, welcome to the maiden voyage of Rollin' Thunder, Season 1, Episode 1. We're a new bi-weekly podcast celebrating the game of Dice Masters. I'm your host, Arj O'Neill. And I'm your co-host, Lucan. And as you can hear, he's terribly sick this week, but soldiering on. My who, Lucan. Anyway, together, we're attempting to pick up and carry forward the metaphorical Dice Masters podcasting baton. Each episode, we're going to have on the show a guest from the worldwide scene, and we're going to try to delve into how they see the game, how their personality bleeds into their style of play, and how they've left an imprint on the game itself. As a practical matter, you can find us at rollinthunder.xyz. That's rollin' with no G and no apostrophe. Rollinthunder.xyz is the place to go to find and listen to our podcast. And you'll also find links there to subscribe to the show on Apple, Android, Google, Stitcher, the works. Not to mention our show notes and other goodies. So go check it out. All right. Enough of the suspense. Today on the show, we have some top-flight brand-name recognition joining us, a perennial contender and world-renowned master brewer whose tenacious and inspiring team builds include the Apologies in Advance team, the You're Out of Time team, his vicious, vicious struggle team that finished top eight in the 2016 World Championships, the Uncommon Hella slash Wonder Woman slash Steve Trevor yarn Bjorning monstrosity of last year, and now, his shield-flipping 2018 Worlds team, which we're about to discuss in great detail. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the Dice Coalition's very own Shadow Meld, a.k.a. Patrick Barley, a.k.a. the Nefarious Geneticist. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Nice. Oh, you guys can't see me bowing. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hey, how's it Hello, going? Shadow. Welcome to Rolling Thunder. Very excited to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, oh, uh, before we go any further, I must add, I like to call the Hella team gods and mortals because it's uh, a Wonder Woman and a Steve and then a, like a Jane and a Hella. And so like for every god, there is a paired mortal. I like it. Um, that's a lot easier to say, too, than yarn bjorning monstrosity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's 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 why I figured I'd bring it up. So I probably should have asked you that before. Mention it right? at all. <laughs> Ever again. <laughs> All right. The gods and mortals team. I should have known that. Anyway. There, there you go. <laughs> so let's jump right in and, and, and talk about this shields monstrosity you've created. Have you got a name for that, first of all? I was playing around with calling it Chop Shop because of what it does to dragons, as, as Michaela can attest. Uh, because literally, you just take the attack of the dragon, and then you hit your opponent with it, and then you take the defense of the dragon, and you also hit your opponent with that. And in the meantime, you destroy the dragon and KO it, and it just dies. So I'm literally just chopping your stuff up into pieces <laughs> and and smacking you in the face with your own stuff. I'm just sad that I didn't get to face Lucan. Yeah, well, yeah, that would have been bad for me. Like, <laughs> it really would have probably worked for you. So, <laughs> well, well, we'll get in and we'll talk specifics about how you actually do all that stuff. I think that'll be great. Sure. I should mention beforehand that, uh, that I'll post the links to the, in the show notes to everything we're about to discuss. So if you're following along at home, you can access that info at rollingthunder.xyz, again, without the G or apostrophe. 
Okay, so let's run down the build. Tell me the cards on your team. What what was the build? Um, well, so I started out with when I was first thinking about the team, I realized that I wanted to make Blackbird a form of control, and then I also was taking a look at what other tools there were in the meta. And I noticed that some of the best control pieces in the meta were low attack, high defense shield characters. And I'm like, man, I wish I had Kellel Global still. And so then I went and found a Kellel Global. And that was Fenthaza, Dinder's Nightmare Speaker. That's the uncommon, right? Yeah, that's the uncommon. When you field her, um, your shield characters have attack equal to their defense. So it's actually even better than the Kalil Global in that you don't lose defense and gain attack. Right. You keep your defense and still gain attack. And you don't need a ton of shields. All your characters get it whenever she's fielded. Right. Yeah. So her by herself, she's a four or five attack character. So just putting her out, she becomes a big threat. You know, on average, she's a five attack character that you paid four to purchase. Right. Right. That's really good stat wise. So uh, that's kind of where the core of the team started. And I was looking at the team and I was like, oh man, three cost blob. I could get a five, six, eight for three and then hit my opponent with an eight, eight that I paid three for. That seems insane. Plus he does a lot of board clearing as he does his thing. So yeah. And so common blob is where the team kind of really started. And then I, I came across Nick Fury commanding the commandos, the two cost shield who turned out to kind of be the poster boy for the team. His ability is relatively useless. Like sometimes it's good because my opponent will have a villain so I can field some stuff for free. But more often than not, my opponents would actually play around it and not buy their villains. Interesting. That actually led to me winning certain matchups in Worlds because of that weird ability, which is kind of crazy. But Meaning that the fact that the opponents wouldn't field like their Shriek and that would save you or the ability... No, in playtesting, I played against Troy, like half his team was villains. And so he went <laughs> with this strategy of, let me just buy my cheap non-villain, which was Black Widow. Right. And so he bought four Black Widows and just went to spam the Black Widows. And Michaela had figured out that same exact strategy and it worked. It beat me. Troy beat me. Mm-hmm. And that's what helped me decide to switch from three cost blob to four cost blob. Yeah. Because four cost blob would just let me shut that entire strategy down. Got it. No more spam. <laughs> and Michaela hadn't heard about that particular game we'd played. And so that was the strategy that she went into during Swiss at Worlds. And she was like, ah, ha, ha. Patrick's never seen this coming. He's never going to see it. And she <laughs> went, widow, widow, widow. And I went, blob. <laughs> and Ooh. that was just it. <laughs> that That lost her the game. Yeah. Because she'd invested all that time and energy getting all those widows and then one blob shuts it all down. Yeah, and she had the fists and the fists were giving her plenty of ramp to try and um, breath weapon with. But one of the strategies this team does is it brings as little ramp as possible, which is technically none. And it brings Blackbird to try to cost my opponent to try to use their ramp right? in hopes of making dragon teams never be able to put the dragon on the board and then swing with the dragon in the same turn. Because if they don't have six energy, they can't get three to field and then three to attack, right? Or if they don't have the dragon and even just four energy to get it on level one and then swing for breath weapon three, then they have to at least leave the dragon on the board long enough for me to chop it up into pieces. Right. 
So you switched out the three-cost common blob for the rare four-cost. Yeah. Can you remind the folks exactly what his ability is? Oh, yeah. So the rare blob, when fielded, prevents my opponent from purchasing or fielding a particularly named character, as long as blob stays in the field. So by doing that, I just prevent the Black Widows from ever being fielded, or I could prevent my opponent from buying a Green Devil Mask. Green Devil Mask was actually the biggest reason that I picked Blob. Uh, Then the Black Widow event helped like really make the decision because I really wanted... Honestly, there are no good three-cost shield characters for the team. Interesting. There's nothing that has low attack, high defense, and gives me a really solid control effect that was worth putting in that slot. Yep. So that's how I ended up having the only mask character on the team which was the doppelganger lesser monstrosity because I was just racking to try and find something that would fill that three cost slot. And I just couldn't find anything that at all worked until I figured out that Lessel doppelganger becomes a shield character when you field him and target one of your shield characters. Smart. So my three cost could be any of my other shield characters, four costs, five costs, whatever. And he could copy them. He would get a copy of their, Ability, which would give me a, some slight redundancy against Shriek, because if you have the doppelganger with the ability and then you have like the blob with the ability, if they Shriek the blob, the doppelganger would still have it. Yeah. So if you roll a doppelganger on energy into your reserve pool, those become shields as well? No, I don't think so. If you have one field. No, I don't think so because it's not a character die. Right. It's an energy die. Yep. Uh, I like, I'd have to go back and reread the document just to confirm, but I think that the energy types on the die don't change, but the energy type of a character in the field changes, right? I think you're right. I'll post so. a link in the show notes to the copying guide as well. So <laughs> we yeah, can go back and look at that in detail later. It's, it's a complicated a guide, but I'm glad we finally got it pushed through. Like, we needed something because copying was getting out of hand. For sure. Oh, but the real big point on Nick Fury is that on two of three faces, my two cost survives Breath Weapon 3 to block. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure <laughs> most players understand just how strong that is. Yeah. In that your opponent, if they want to ping out Nick Fury and he's on his level three face, they have to spend three for Breath Weapon and an additional two bolt energy to ping it with magic missile. That means they had to spend five energy and attack with their dragon to be able to swing through for their 10 or whatever they normally hit for. Yeah. And also we can turn into an offensive weapon when you use Finthaza. I mean, suddenly he's a 5-5 coming at you, right? Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But he's a good piece on his own for the defensive stat. Finthaza takes all the pieces on this team and turns them into weapons. Yeah. So in that way, she worked like the old bard did, right? And and honestly, there are times on this team where Fenthaza gives more buff than bard would have. <laughs> um, you know, given given Blob plus seven is kind of crazy. <laughs> so, okay, cool. So let's keep going down the list. So we got Blob, we got Nick Fury, we got the doppelganger. What's next? The other control piece that I was really wanting to focus on, which in the end. Did not work against you, but worked against most of the other teams that I faced, uh, was Bishop, Blutterfly Effect, the rare bishop that prevents yep. all non-combat damage dealt to you. And he's his stats are actually relatively weak on this team, 
but his ability to absorb damage and prevent all non-combat damage to me is it just forces my opponent to have to go through him you know what i mean mm-hmm. yep and unless they're multiplying the damage they do by four uh that is actually difficult to do one thing that you can do with bishop i don't know if your team had space for it but one card which i wonder if you considered is the uh, rare sunfire solar flare which does, while Sunfire is active, damage dealt to your X-Men character dice from each source is reduced by two. So, especially against Yuan-T, since Yuan-T comes in bursts of two, because you have the Pseudo-Dragon, which amps the Yuan-T up by one, so Yuan-T comes in a burst of two, all the damage to your bishop is reduced to zero. And um, you also won't be taking any damage, because a bishop blocks all damage that's non-combat damage to you. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, Sunfire is amazing paired with Bishop, and I, they're both X-Men, right? So yes. um, that means you can make a pretty solid X-Men team that has a chance against Yanti. Yep. The problem I had was I definitely didn't have enough slots on the team, mm-hmm. and he was already fighting for my four-cost shield slots, which I had three of on the team already. Right. And... There's just way too many random possible options for what I could roll that four cost shield is just, you can't have half your team be four cost shields (laughs) or when you don't roll four four energy and you don't roll a shield, then you just can't buy anything. And, and in my playtesting, Yanti struggled to deal with just Bishop alone. Now I didn't test two instances of Yanti going off at any given time. And that was a problem. So honestly, if I had to drop something from the team, it would be like Blob or Venerable Dreadnought. And we already talked about how each of those literally won me a game and Sunfire wouldn't win me the game. He would just stop me from losing the game. Right. It's funny, before US Nats, Lucan and I were really toying with a bunch of things as Yanti counters. And one of them was the Bishop Sunfire combo but for us it, we we eventually abandoned it just because it felt like oh we're just setting up for defense and you know i'm buying a four cost to stop your two cost and it didn't seem like good economy to us at the time but then when i saw i think laurier played a version of the bishop sunfire combo at the canadian nats and did pretty well with it and then i saw the kind of the bones of your team and i thought wow you could actually use that card possibly as an offensive piece it was one of the ones that I was worried about as I went into Worlds thinking, uh-oh, this could be an issue. And I brought Shriek and just hoped that if the, if it came out, I could Shriek Sunfire and hit quickly hard enough before before it got right. set up again. I, I will say Sunfire doesn't add to the win condition of my team. Right. His stats are upside down. Exactly. That was the other thing. Yeah. I mean, he's 1-1 one, one on one face even. So. Yeah, right. And one defense dude's right. not what this team's about. <laughs> But, Lucan, that's an interesting combo, and, and one people should keep an eye on, I think, in the future, is that Bishop-Sunfire I mean, combo is is tough. You know, it's yeah, tough to get yeah. around. If you want to run that team, just do it, or that, that combo, just do it on the Jubilee team. Right. And and then you're good to go, because now your Jubilee can't even get pinged off. Right. Because she takes two less damage as well. And now you're churning out reliable damage versus uh, Yanti, who now gets stopped, right? and blocked up and the Jubilee mimic ramp can let you get to Bishop really easily. So that's a perfectly 
awesome way to add that in. And then you can play some X-Men tricks like Xavier's Mansion or Blackbird or whichever X-Men trick works the best for you. So Bishop was your last piece of control. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, technically I had my Fabricator, which was the Tomb Guardian, rare Tomb Guardian. And honestly, he was just there to give me another shot at Finthaza every once in a while. Or if my opponent had all the globals in the world, I could get it and bring it and drop it so that they would have to pay one more for every global. Or Or if uh, I was playing another shield team, for example, and they were all about the Splinter's teachings, then I would make us both have to pay more for Splinter's teachings. Right. Uh, So if you could remind us what exactly that old Paragon construct does. So he's a wall active global abilities cost one more to use for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. So all globals cost plus one. And what's his fabricate ability? He's like two for three, right? Oh yeah. That's the other thing. He's two for three. So my doppelgangers or my blobs, they could all just get paired with the sidekick to bounce. Um, When I originally put him on the team, I had the three cost blob. Um, and so I would use him to like grab a tomb guardian every once in a while and then right. bounce and then field and capture even more sidekicks just to thin down my opponent's blockers. Uh, but, but with this final one, it looks like you're using it more just to get Fenthaza around if you haven't set up for the full kill, right? Exactly. And and honestly, he's a good four cost shield to just buy straight up because he only costs four and his defense is four, five, six, right? That's that's actually better than Fenthaza. It's better than, um, mm-hmm. it's not better than Blob, but uh, it's a better like just four cost purchase sometimes if what's really throwing me for a loop is globals. So I mean, it may not even need to fabricate to get him. He's just so cheap. And his fielding cost hurts, but maybe Nick Fury could help you out with that, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then the last actual character on the team is the reason I decided to run this team instead of what I ran for qualifiers, which was like my Jubilee Rush team. Okay. And it was because Venerable Dreadnought became legal. This team, I would not have played it if Venerable Dreadnought was not legal. Got it. There just wasn't enough board clear to make a bard-like team work without this Dreadnought's ranged ability, which, you know, while active, all your character dice have range one. Right. Which is super mean with this team with the Fenthaza coming through, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if I can clear four of your blockers and you only have one left, then I only have to get through with four of my five shield characters, you know, or what have you. <laughs> right. So uh, I've also seen you use uh, Confront the Mighty um, in order to do a, quite a bit more than just your standard removal. So could you just uh, explain those shenanigans really quickly? Sure. The The standard flow for a, a dragon team, right, a Ring of Winter dragon team, is turn one, buy a character, or buy Ring of Winter. Turn two, buy another character, and then Heimdall and Resurrect, right? Uh, if I'm unable to really disrupt that with like the Blackbird effect, which is my first plan, right? My first plan is to use Blackbird to disrupt that sort of scenario. My purchase order plan is Nick Fury turn one, hopefully get a sidekick out and then confront the mighty turn two and then resurrect that if they have some sort of resurrection effect or Heimdall so that I cycle the bag really good. Whatever their globals are, I'm using them to make sure that when their dragon hits the board, I'm going to have Confront the Mighty and Nick Fury and a sidekick. (laughs) So if they have a sidekick and I have Nick Fury, 
I will pay a shield to take the attack of the dragon and give it to my sidekick and give my sidekicks one attack to the dragon. So now the dragon is a 1-8. And then I can confront the mighty with Nick Fury. So Nick Fury is going to deal his now 8 attack because it steals the um, dragon's defense and gives it to Nick Fury. So Nick Fury has an 8 attack and he's got at least a 3 defense. And the dragon only has a one attack. So it's going to do one damage back to Nick Fury. So now I have an 8-3 and a 7-1, and my opponent's only character is probably the dragon, and it has now been removed from the field because I just right. yeah. killed it with Confront I'm the just Mighty. remembering when you were on stream, you brought Confront the Mighty, and I just looked at that and I'm like, what reason could he possibly have to put Confront the Mighty on the team? I mean, he's got Blob. Isn't that a bit of a liability? Then you punched your opponent in the face for eight damage or something ridiculous like that with your one attack blob using Confront the Mighty. It's like, oh, now I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in that situation, the dragon lands on turn three and then they breath weapon you on turn four is the typical play pattern for dragons, right? Right. Well, Nick Fury and Confront the Mighty land on turn three and I'm hitting my opponent for 15. Seven from the attack and eight from the defense. And the dragon's gone and they got to re-roll it. They have to re-roll it and field it and probably don't have enough to field it and breath weapon. Ah, yeah. So we should finish fleshing out your team. So you've got Splinter's Teachings. Yep. And Confront the Mighty are two basic actions. And just for the people who aren't as familiar with uh, Confront the Mighty, let me read it here. It says, target character die you control has A equal to D of target opposing character die until end of turn. Those two character dice deal damage to each other equal to their A. So that's exactly what you were describing there. And yep. and in combination with Splinter's teachings, it can get really... It's a kind of... What I love about the team is, is it kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you put out a character with Big D to try to survive, you know, uh, your Venerable Dreadnoughts, mm-hmm. you're giving your team the ability to play these Splinter's teaching shenanigans. So, <laughs> you know, you put the character out to survive a Venerable Dreadnought, maybe or you put out you also give you the opportunity to really slam through for something hard yeah it's can you talk to about that a little bit and explain how so more articulately what i'm trying to say there yeah so my team has the biggest butts in the world right and those big butts are literally the weapon that i'm going to use Fintaza to kill you with and i'm going to use venerable dreadnought to clear your average to low butts so that my guys can get through that's the plan. But if you put out something big that's Wally that I'm never going to get through because of Fentaza or maybe even your Dreadnought or uh, a Blob, well, I can use Confront the Mighty to attack high stat characters with probably lower abilities, right? Yep. So if you bring lots of abilities, your stats are going to be low. Venerable Dreadnought will take care of that. If you bring lots of stats, uh, confront the mighty and splinters teachings can steal and borrow those stats so that I can kill you with your own tools. <laughs> so either you're bringing abilities and I'm just pinging them off. Hopefully they don't come back or you're bringing stats and I'm s- chop shopping them and using them <laughs> to smack you in the face. So that's an introduction to chop shop. Everybody, if you're having a hard time with the dragon team at your FLGS, you might give this team a whirl. <laughs> You guys sent me some questions that you were going to ask me, and I I might as well answer that question right now since we're talking about it. You were going to ask me what draws me to shields, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Splinter's teachings. 
Short answer. Mm-hmm. It's it started with that global, and uh, it and it was Mystic Box way back in the day. It right? was Mystic Box back in the day, uh, but before that, that was power. mostly just me trying to be stubborn and not say that Transfer Power was better than <laughs> Mystic Box. <laughs> And that's one of the things I, I, I admire about your team. There's a couple of things on it that are kind of double-edged swords. And I love your chutzpah. You're just saying, like, I'm bringing these things, and I'm betting that I can play them better than you. And, like, the two things that jump right out to mind are, like, Confront the Mighty, and the other one was the Blackbird Global. You know, yeah. Between those two things, I mean, those are double-edged swords, but I, I salute your, 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 your confidence in terms of, like, hey, I'm just going to beat you with this. And at least, you know, in a tournament like that, you don't usually get enough time to, to like kind of figure it out and make it work, you know, the, as the opponent. So hats off to you, my friend. Especially in Swiss, right? Like my goal right. has always been bring a cool team and at least make it out of Swiss. I mean, I yep. didn't this year, but uh, I mean, technically I still made top eight. So it feels like, like out of Swiss, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, yep. But yeah, my goal is always to make it out of top eight and then have fun playing good players, right? Yep. And to do it with teams that nobody else brought, teams that are mine, right? For sure. And so Vicious Struggle felt like mine until I showed up and everybody else <laughs> had one. But, but you had your your own spin on it. It was unlike any of those other Vicious Struggle teams there. Yeah, in part because... They wanted to do it as quickly as they can, as efficiently as they can, and to heck if my opponent knows what they're doing and can do it too, right? Right. I will say the only person that bought Vicious Struggle out from under me and Vicious Struggled me back in my face was Michael Lee, right? Yeah, I was going to guess that. He he knows Vicious Struggle and Transfer Power inside and out. It, well, I, I mean, partially it was I won the role for half the game, so nobody right. else had the chance, but- <laughs> right. Even when I did patch up against like even other Vicious Struggle teams, I quite often was able to outplay them because of some of the things that were on my team that weren't on their teams. They didn't have right. the experience with them. It was, again, about, hey, I know these tools better than you. Because even Vicious Struggle, my opponent could buy it and beat me with it, but I know these tools better than you. Right. There was the Captain America, the one that spun up, that, that reduced the damage was on that team. What else was on that team? The Human Torch Global was oh, yeah. the biggest one. Like uh, literally that global won me a match in Swiss on at least one of the qualifier days. And remind folks what that global is. Uh, oh, it's a uh, pay a bolt uh, when you, an action die or character ability would deal damage, deal one extra damage. Actually, it might be uh-huh. action die and global. It might be action die and global uh, to okay. deal one extra damage. So in this situation, my opponent actually went first and he had a vicious struggle team and I had a vicious struggle team. And he bought a vicious struggle, and then I bought a vicious struggle, and then he bought a vicious struggle, and then I bought two vicious struggles. <laughs> and I had just the right amount of ramp to kind of get him to all come back around. And so he dropped two vicious struggles and then unloaded a bunch of damage on me. And I was down to like seven. And then my turn came up, and I played all three of my vicious struggles <laughs> so that if he was going to try and kill me, he was going to take a ton of damage back, except he had five fists and a question mark to try and kill me with. Because he bought all those kobolds, right? Yeah, uh, or something like that, yeah. And he spent the question mark first. Oh. And so he was stuck having to deal one damage at a time to me to get me down. Uh, you know, I, th- I was think I was at five health, right? So he was going to do 
uh, one and then one and then one and then one and then one. And I would be doing three back to him, right? Right. And he was at 14. So if he does one to me and takes three, 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 that would put him at two and put me at one. And so he could do one to both of us. And then I would die before he would, except he spent his question mark, which means he couldn't use the human torch global anymore. All he could do is use the Luke Cage global. I still had some question marks. So when my vicious struggles did damage back to him, I pumped up the damage they did with the human torch global so that he was no longer going to not lose if he kept spending fists. Brilliant. It was close. Uh, that's <laughs> like, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It was it was a really really great game. I forget which opponent it was. It was one of the guys from Columbus. Um, I just forget which yeah, one. They were all they were all playing vicious for the They were they were. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. So one of the things I've noticed that seems to be a common thread in your teams, and, and in fact, you know, like on that vicious struggle team that we're talking about, I remember you didn't have some of the, the things that like the Columbus team was running. Like you didn't bring Kobolds, mm-hmm. you didn't bring Red Dragon, mm-hmm. you were slowing things down in the same way that you kind of slowed things down for this 2018 Worlds team. Oh, yeah. So it's interesting, you know, most players are bringing, you know, some card to do some ramping and you're kind of going the opposite way. You're saying like, okay, I'm going to shut things down. And, you know, the longer this game goes on, the more things tilt in my favor. Is that generally how you look at things? Or, or you know, talk a little bit about that because that's a really an interesting perspective. So let's, let's just flip it around for a second. If I play original PXG Global, why am I bringing that? I'm bringing it because I want to do my things as quickly and as reliably as possible. Sure. But in a situation where I get denied that global, in a situation where I have to play bag management and dirty dice rolls and sloppy bags, who practices that? <laughs> right. People will practice their PXG and their, oh, I slightly missed PXG and their, oh, I really missed PXG rolls. They'll practice those all day long because it's fun, because it's in control. It's something you can do. It's something you can plan for, right? Right. Nobody wants to play, there are 12 dice in my bag and I have absolutely no idea what's coming out of them next turn. I mean, you get pretty used to it when you have to practice against my father every day. <laughs> well, I mean, fair enough. And you know who you know who does practice that? People who draft. Yep. Because draft format is one of the least reliable bag control formats. That's all I get to play around here. Interesting. And that's rarely even when I play there, right? So I'm playing competitive online, but none of my locals are at all competitive in that way. But they have some fancy draft tricks, let me tell you. Interesting. I have one more question. So you talk a lot about the concept of economy to a lot of other players. So what does this term mean to you? And like, also, do you think it's like, in what way, like, how is it a substitute for ramp? Okay, so... There are three different ways to kind of look at economy in Dice Masters. A lot of people like ramp, which means more dice rolled next turn. And what you have to keep in mind is that if I'm rolling more dice, I'm also leaving less dice in circulation. So I'm also churning more dice. And that's the churn is the term I use for how quickly a die goes from your in play or unpurchased 
back to something you're rolling, right? How quickly they they cycle through that whole that whole cycle. And the faster you can churn dice through, the better. Economy in that sense means how can I get more damage to my opponent for fewer ramp and for less churn. That's interesting. So you're tying it to ramp and churn as opposed to purchase cost or stats in this sense. Well, purchase cost is what you need to ramp to. So the the only reason you need ramp is to buy something specific. So if you can deal the same amount of damage with something that costs less, then you don't need to ramp to it. You just want it to churn quicker. Yep. Right? And so uh, I was looking at um, Junior had a team, uh, not this year, but like the year before, uh, not at Nats, but at Worlds before, where, that, where almost every character on that team was a two-cost character, right? Yeah. yeah. And he would just team. kill you with a bunch of two-cost characters. And you never, he never needed to ramp to anything. The only thing ramp was doing is helping his two-cost characters ch- churn through the bag faster. Or it can help you get, to, you know, if you need to use globals a lot, right? I mean, yes. Yeah. It can let you do things more often by having more energy to do the things, right? Which is what globals are, right? Or what more action dice would be, right? And one of the things I'm noticing on your teams is you don't have a ton of globals on your team. So it's not not, that kind of ramp isn't as necessary. Right. So I need to do fewer things. I just want to churn through my guys faster. And one of the best ways to churn through guys is actually just to make sidekicks. Yep. Yeah, one thing that I see you do a lot here on a lot of teams, like, for example, the Gods and Mortals, Hella, Yarnbjorn team. Yeah. Um, you have, like, a card that makes a purchase cost and your big character is less, like Jane Foster. And then in order to just make sure that your draws are consistent, you put on Resurrection for that consistency. Yeah, that's, a, like, a symptom of the Ring Resurrection era when people were like, you know what's better than PXG if I'm not buying anything big? is if I just ring and resurrect and get a perfect turn three draw and kill you with it. And that is why I use resurrection and like a two cost and a three cost. If you have a two cost and a three cost in your team and you have resurrection, you can buy your three cost on turn one, whether you're first or second, then you buy your two cost on turn two and either cake out uh, a sidekick or um, resurrect and then just hope you get exactly what you want from the X number of dice you have um, so that you're getting exactly what you want on turn three. And if you can reliably get turn three, then you can have a planned turn four and a planned turn five and get things like Hela and Yarnborn to smash your opponent in the face with. But if you can't get that perfect turn three, then you're not sure what's going to happen on turn three. So you don't have a good defense or a good offense or necessarily another big ramp turn so you can get even bigger dudes. It's all about getting that perfectly planned turn or bring Blackbird and make it so nobody has a perfectly planned turn (laughs) and get sloppy, nasty, ugly boards that are so big they can't get removed. That is a perfect segue into our next segment. Calling it Breaking It Down. All right, on today's section of Breaking It Down, we're going to talk about the Blackbird Global. And it's interesting that this was the card that got your wheels turning and inspired you to brew this team. 
you know, I thought maybe it was Venerable Dreadnought or or uh, Fantasa, but in, in, tr- in truth, it was the Blackboard. So the card subtitle is Under the Radar, which I think is perfect because that's exactly what this card is. I mean, not too many folks are playing it these days. It's the Uncommon from the X-Men First Class set. And if you roll the action, then X-Men character dice you control cannot be targeted by global abilities or action dice until the end of turn. But really, you're you're bringing it for the global ability, right? And the yeah. global is pay one generic, target global ability cannot be used until the start of your next turn. Use this global ability only once per turn. So tell me, about what, what was it that, you, when you saw that, what was it that made you go like, wow, this is what I want to build this team around? And then how have you used it and, and how have you made people's life miserable. I think, I think whenever anybody starts looking at this card, the first thing they think about is, is, oh, I can turn off all those globals that stop this team or that team from winning. Right. For example, Mr. Fixit can turn off uh, Blink Transmutation or Kate Bishop or what have you. And Mr. Fixit players actively drool at that. <laughs> They're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's so I, that good. My downfall. But it can also turn off magic missile, so... Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's the thing, is the more you play with the Blackbird, the more you realize that it's an investment in choosing to play without globals. Right. Now, some globals don't care. Uh, If you take Blackbird to a Golden Age tournament, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to Blackbird PXG. Well, it doesn't really work very well. Because you can turn PXG off on your turn, but it's also going to be turned off on their turn, so it's not like right. you can get PXG and then stop them from doing it, unless you like PXG on your turn before you Blackbird. And then right. it's basically just a Heimdall. So you can turn PXG into a Heimdall. For me, I, I'm a player who loves to play with globals. Uh, my world team had 7 out of 10 cards with globals. And basically, my resolution when it came to Blackbird is... If I ever have to play against that card while I'm at this tournament, I'm just going to... First priority is definitely to Blackbird, your Blackbird, so that I can do what I want. That is exactly what I'm hoping you do. Right. Because now you draw three dice per turn, and I draw four. Because you're dedicating one of those dice to pay for the Blackbird Global every turn. And all I had to do was fill up my 10th card on my team. So it sounds like this is a card that's best played on a team that relies on very few Globals, correct? I honestly think this card works best on a team that relies on zero Globals. Right. Are there any cards that pair really well with this card that you found? Having played it, Transfer Power doesn't pair poorly with this Global. Because you can actually transfer power and then turn off transfer power, and now they can't steal it back. Interesting. Okay. It it denies you the ability to use transfer power as defensively. Right. Because your opponent can just save one energy to turn off transfer power and then smack you in the face. Yep. But that means they're at least having to pay one energy to kill you. And they've also got to be familiar with a card that not a lot of people play. Yes, but... Eventually, somewhere in your tournament, that's not going to matter anymore. They figure it out, right? Honestly, what I found is the best thing that the Blackbird Global pairs up against is Resurrection. Because turn one, if you go first, you Blackbird the Blackbird. Okay. Turn 
two, if you went second and the opponent didn't blackbird the blackbird, you blackbird their resurrection so they have a bad turn three. Right. And you res and then blackbird their, their, their res, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and so if you're doing that, that one disruption, that one energy that they have to spend to even play that game can throw off teams. Especially if they're like the team you were talking with, Ring Res or something. That would be a huge wrench in the works. Exactly. So there's a chance that you'll either screw up their bag so bad or reduce their purchase capabilities on turns one and two. And if your team either doesn't care because you can play around it or has dudes that are so cheap that you can pay for the Blackbird every turn anyway, then it doesn't hurt you and it doesn't work against you. And you can just play as you were going to play. So cheap dudes, no globals. Do you want to go first? You were talking about if you have this card, do you generally want to go first so that you can turn it off and then... Or, or if you go second, what do you got to watch out for? Well, so I've actually found that when I go up against people who don't have resurrection, right, it doesn't really matter what happens in the very beginning because if somebody's spending time to deny ramp with this card uh, and it's not fixing turn three, everybody's going to have a sloppy bag anyway. So just forget about it. Just leave it alone and save it for the right moment or save it right. to let your opponent spend on it. It's almost like it's just a mind game um, <laughs> yep. to, to see if they're going to do anything with it or not. As for actual cards that synergize with it, it's more of a card that you can slap on the right type of team to stop your opponent from doing this, that, or the other. Got it. I was trying to see, think if there were any teams that could really benefit from like turning off X particular global, right? Like maybe if you could put it on a fix it team that could ping fix it through some other means reliably, sure. right? Like a, um, a tune team or something, right? Or, or, or just like a team that had like a synergy ping mm-hmm. that you could just pay, but it wasn't a global. Yep. That would be super useful, but those don't really exist right now and if you found one that'd be awesome do it 100 it seems like it's a good card in general like if you've got a slower building team this seems like a good card to put on the team just to slow down an opponent who's trying to just you know have the beat down on you yeah especially if your team doesn't cost a lot but you need to buy a lot of dudes and their team is going to cost if they're going to buy four or five cost characters all the time then Making them have to spend one every turn, it it gets hard (laughs) to pay four for things if you're trying to pay one to not get disrupted. One other thing. What do you see people making mistakes? You've played this card a lot now. Mm -hmm. And and you've seen a lot of people who were kind of surprised by it or just not as not as familiar with it. Sure. That way. Yeah. What are you what kind of misplays are you seeing people make when they're encountering this card? They're paying energy to turn it off when there's nothing that I can blank that will have any effect. They are literally saying, oh, I've got one extra energy. Let's turn off Blackbird. Okay. But <laughs> next turn, I'm going to field Thaza and smash you in the face. Right. Well, one of the things that you, if you're with careful reading the card, you also notice that it's a global that works well when you play it on your turn. Yeah. But unless you're doing something specific on your opponent's turn, mm-hmm. it's just going to be over you know, right away. So unless you're really trying to get something on your opponent's turn, there's really no, no, no use in playing it. Right. Yeah. yeah. The only reason to save an energy and use it on the defensive is to turn off a very specific combat trick Mm -hmm. and to do it before your opponent has a chance to turn off blackbird 
Which is usually rare. Right. So it, like if you're trying to force them to save the energy to stop you, uh, but like it has to be a combat trick that can only happen after they declare the attack step. Yep. Which is like Splinter's teaching, I think, is the only one that I can think of. Or or oh, like Kate Bishop, right? Those are the only two that I think mm-hmm. like and on the defensive, why would you turn off Kate Bishop? So um <laughs> right. right. Cause Splinter's teaching, you want to use it to swap the attack to the guy that's unblocked, right? Yep. Whereas uh, there aren't very that for folks who, who who may not be as familiar with sure that yeah so splinter's teaching is pay a shield swap a, a attack of one of your dudes with the attack of one of their dudes right so sidekick to dragon but what you can then do is pay to swap the dragon stat to your sidekick from sidekick to sidekick so you pay two shields to kind of oh uh, i attack with a sidekick and a dragon you block the dragon i'll give your sidekick my attack and then i'll take that attack and give it to my other sidekick ha 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 my dragon's going to hit you anyway and now my dragon stays on the board and the sidekick goes away time for a new section here that we're calling rolling blunder blunder <laughs> so I've asked Shadowmeld if he could think of a time where he's made an error that might be instructive for everybody, because uh, I've certainly found that I've learned the most from analyzing my mistakes. Sure. Um, 2016, top eight, game two, no, game three, against, um, uh, oh man, why can I not remember his name? Who is the champion that year? Um, Victor no, 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 no. 2016. Oh, 2016. Oh, Guillermo. It was Guillermo. Guillermo. Yeah, Guillermo. Uh, against Guillermo. Uh, so this is top eight against Guillermo. Obviously, I didn't win. Um, he won first turn. Uh, so he won the first game. Um, and he did it by effectively getting barred out and cloud killing my blockers so that I couldn't block his barred stuff from getting through, right? Right. Um, and he had like two elf thieves and a sidekick and a bard, right? It was not a lot of dudes on the board at that point. Turn two, I went first, so he died because vicious struggle. Um, game three, I was like, okay, uh, well, what killed me last time? Let me make sure he can't do that again. And I went vicious struggle, cloud kill, cloud kill, cloud kill, which was just wrong it was it was an overcorrection all the way in the other way with no plan like just no plan i was i was like yeah you cannot cloud killed me oh wait i still haven't bought any characters (laughs) i don't have any guys in the field now (laughs) what what do i do um and uh yeah if you're going to try and do something to disrupt your opponent it's got to be part of your plan to win first. Interesting. Can you say that again? Because I think that's sage advice. If you're going to try and do something to disrupt your opponent, you have to make it part of your plan first before you just do it in order to s- disrupt them. Yeah. And let's go back to your your blunder, your so-called blunder at that point in time. If going second against that bar team, you're always going to be in the defensive position, right? Economically, yes. Economically, and you're, you've got to play, you got to start thinking defensively. So your, your reaction was, okay, I'm going to buy his offensive pieces. It, looking back on it, 
would what what adjustments would you have made at that point? I don't know. I look back at that whole weekend and I'm like, why did I not have an answer to Oracle? <laughs> and that honestly, <laughs> you know? that was my answer. Is I just had no answer to Oracle. I at the time I was really proud because I brought Daredevil on that team to you know right. target mass character gets KO'd, but right. Raven protects Oracle from Daredevil 2. So um, it just, it just, there wasn't a really good answer to Oracle Raven Elf Thief. Um, right. And at least not for the Vicious Struggle side. The real answer was I was hoping all the bards would take out all of the mask teams and it right. was working, right? I don't think a single mask team besides Guillermo's made it to top eight. Maybe there was another Didn't one. Junior make it? I think Junior made it. That yeah, year, but, yeah, Junior made um, top but, that year. But for the most part, it was two to one, right? There were two bar right. teams for every non-bar team. For sure. And so my plan was, hey, there's a struggle blows bards out of the water. <laughs> right. Because bard has to attack with lethal and has to stay on the board until it attacks with lethal and has very little economy disruption while it does it. But Guillermo did the switch where he took all the mask characters and put a bard with them instead of putting a ring with them. And Mighty clever. And it worked, right? Yeah. It just it was it good enough. Good. So Well, great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now we don't have a lot of time, but I want to, you know, besides all of your other your accomplishments and all these really cool brews, you've also, you know, made some really super fun and super creative variants to the game. And I just want to give you a chance to just touch on them and and we can link to where people can find them in the show notes. We don't have time to go into them in great sure. detail on this episode, but if you could mention them real quickly. Yeah. Uh, so both formats are designed to give you a, like a beer and pretzel tabletop. Everybody sits around like multiple players where you have a, a laid back, relaxed, nobody wins in three turns type of scenario. The game slowly develops while you're drinking beer and eating pretzels and maybe watching a show <laughs> all together or just chatting and hanging out. And that's the Riddler's Rumble format and then the Mastermind variant. Uh, and so if you're familiar with Momir or Momir Vig from Magic, that's kind of what Riddler's Rumble is. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you're familiar with Commander from Magic the Gathering, that is exactly what Mastermind is. You know, you build a deck, you get your cards slowly, one at a time, and you can bring your Mastermind out to help your deck do things more efficiently. Oh, that's awesome. And and I can vouch, personally vouch for both of them. We've uh, we've built a, a gigantic Riddler's Rumble here and our scene loves it. So if you're a TO out there and you're looking for something to kind of keep the slow times uh, happening... I can't uh, recommend these more more highly, but they're, they're both great. All right, so <laughs> let's move on to the next section, and we're calling this one... One of the things that we really wanted to talk about on this show is the history of the game and the personalities of some of the great players that have made a mark on it. So with a little bit of hubris, we're going to institute an unofficial... Dice Masters Hall of Fame. You know, I'd call it the Hall of Mandos, but that's probably already copyrighted. Anyway, over the course of the season, we're going to be asking each of our guests to nominate one player, preferably a retired or semi-retired player for the Hall. So, uh, Shadow Mel, do you have any thoughts on uh, what player you might like to nominate? So, yes. <laughs> Too many thoughts, unfortunately. <laughs> Feel free to enumerate them all. <laughs> uh, fair enough. What 
I think f- for Hall of Fame wise, for so so this is your first segment, right? So I can I can push back a little so that future yeah. listeners now you want to nominate players for the Hall of Fame. Do you have Hall of Fame categories? Are we talking uh, about an- best player or are we talking about best community member or best dice master? You could you could pick it for any of those reasons. I think they're all valid. So whoever you pick, just say, you know, you may even say, like, I think this person because they were a great player, but I like this person because of this. And this, I, in my opinion, you know, community is more important than, than pilot, and I'm nominating this person. Or somebody else could say the opposite. So Okay, so with that in mind, I've got... Oof, I've been playing this game for way too long, and I know way too many people. But uh, <laughs> I, I will say that when I go to national events... And when I'm looking for people to play against and practice against, I there are a lot of people that I will I will sit down and play with. But every time I play with this particular player, it's always a good experience. And I can also uh, nominate them for sharing hotel beds as one of the best people to share a hotel bed with when you're on your way to a convention. Um, and I'm going to nominate Michael Lee. great and a tremendous player well yes you know he's everybody's first dragon pilot right he he piloted dragons back before they were cool he uh has always done well uh i don't think he's ever won any of the national or world's events but he's always he's won a ton of wkos yeah in our scene he tears it up every time he shows up at an event it's like oh michael lee is here and he's always willing to like play test with people all the time, even if they're on the other side of the country. So, yep. Well, that's an, I, I think that's a great, a great nomination. So uh, we're hoping to have Michael on the show in the future. So you know, that that's great. Thank you. Yep. All right. So that wraps it up. Shadow. Thank you so much. I mean, I feel like we've got so many other things I could talk to you about. Hey, I'm happy to come back. Time. Yes. If, if you would come back, we would love to have you. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. Uh, I uh, really appreciate being able to talk. Awesome. Thank you again for coming out. And we're going to take a little break here and we're going to go on to our next segment, which is the puzzle. Thanks, Shadow. Thank you. Okay. Welcome to a new section we're calling the puzzle. I'm not sure how well this is going to actually work. Uh, It's going to require some intense visualization skills. But Lucan, I'm turning it over to you. All right, so for the puzzle, I don't know how well it's going to work because I'm just going to tell you what the game state is, but without further ado, here goes. You can find the puzzle at rollinthunder.xyz forward slash puzzle. So it's there. There's pictures and stuff if it's a little bit hard to just listen to what it is. But yeah, without further ado, here goes. After a long and hard-fought battle, your opponent has gotten you down to one life, and they're ready to bring the hurt next turn. However, they are not without their own battle scars. You have reduced them down to six life and have a power turn on your hands. Can you kill them before you die? The objective is to reduce your opponent's life to zero this turn. So, here are the teams. On your team is the magic missile basic action with the global pay a bolt and deal one damage to target character die. The splinter's teaching basic action which has the global pay a shield, swap the A of target opposing character die and target character die you control. 
As for characters, you have Storm, Thunderclap, when fielded, spin target energy in an opponent's reserve pool to a bolt face. You have Billy Club, Tool of Justice. Global, pay zero. Once per turn, on your turn, spin one of your character dice to its mask face. You have Hawkeye, Avengers Disassembled. Once per turn, during your main step, you may knock out a Hawkeye character die you control. If you do, you may deal damage equal to his attack divided any way you choose to your opponent's characters. And Kal-El, from another Earth, global, pay shield, switch target character dies A and D until the end of turn. On your opponent's team, they have Get the Hence, basic action card, global, pay bolt, once during your turn, deal one damage to target player if you have no character dice in the field zone. There is the Haymaker, basic action, global, pay fist, target character die gets plus one attack until end of turn. For characters, they have Shriek, Sonic Beam. When fielded, choose an opposing character card, replacing all previous choices. While Shriek is active, ignore that card's text. Lex Luthor, Kansas native. While Lex Luthor is active, damage from the first character die that damages you each turn is reduced to one. As their final character, they have Gorilla Grodd, Brains and Brawn. Pay zero. Once per turn, on your turn, spin one of your sidekick character dice to the fist face. Here is the game state. All you have in your field zone are two sidekicks. In your opponent's field zone, they have a level 2 Lex Luthor, that being a 1-1-5, a level 3 Shriek, that being a 1-3-3, and that Shriek is naming your Storm. In your reserve pool, you have a level 3 Storm, that being a 1-3-3, a level 3 Hawkeye, that being a 1-4-2, and two sidekicks on their shield faces, and one sidekick on its bolt face. In your opponent's reserve pool, there's one sidekick on its wild face. As for life, you have one, and your opponent has six. Good luck. All right, awesome. So, so as Lucan mentioned, you can find the puzzle at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash puzzle. As if I haven't beaten that horse to death like a bard in morphing jars coming down your throat. And I've chosen not to put comments on the puzzle because I don't want anybody to spoil the puzzle for anybody who comes along in future generations. However, please submit your answers to either Arge at RollandThunder.xyz or Lucan at RollandThunder.xyz. And the first person who gets the correct answer, we will give a shout out to and read their answer on next week's show. And if you give us a voice message, we might even play it on the show. All right, we got one big announcement before we end the show. And that is, we learned recently that WizKids is not going to be hosting a Dice Masters Spring WKO. But, fear not, for a group of us players has come up with the idea of having one big weekend to at least replicate the experience of having a competitive event. And we're asking all the TOs in the major scenes, and you know who you are, maybe I'm figuring maybe 10, 12 of the big local game stores that host usually host 8 to 10 people. If you can bring in 8 to 10 people, this would be good, good for you. In St. Louis, and Detroit, and Toledo, and in and around the Dallas area. We're hoping that across the globe, we can get a group of friendly local gaming stores and TOs to come together and play one tournament at their local scene. All happening on or around the weekend of March 9th, 2019. Circle that date in your calendar, March 9th or 10th. And we're going to call it... I don't know, maybe one big weekend or Royal Rumble or something like that. Have a group hive mind think about the title. But anyway, we'll let the local TOs decide the format. But here's the hitch. 
the top two finishers at each local store qualify to play in an online tournament, the winner of which I will be prizing with a factory set that I took home from Worlds this year. We're talking about this tournament being the kickoff of a whole new season of online play. So get back to me if your local scene is interested in participating in this event. Please drop me an email at arge at rollandthunder.xyz and I'll get your name on the list. Well, Luke, and we've done it. One episode in the tank. Woohoo, yeah! So go ahead and check out rollandthunder.xyz and forgive me, it's still a work in progress. Every week it should be improving little by little. I'm not a website designer by, by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm doing my best. So go check it out. And come back and listen to us again in a fortnight's time. Goodbye. Well, that's the end of Turn 5, my friends. And it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at rollinthunder.xyz without a G or an apostrophe, where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at arge or lucan at rollinthunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Weiner. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling, August Narlagajia the Lao. We'll be talking again in two weeks' time with another guest. So stay tuned. Enough said. Blunder, blunder, blunder. <laughs> Should I do that?